Good morning. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, we continue our series and um, we are going to be looking thematically at the book of Proverbs for the next several weeks, continuing throughout uh, July to uh, think on some topics that God would offer us some wisdom on. How do we approach life with wisdom? How do we have a proper understanding of what it is we ought to do? How do we make our decisions wisely? And God equips us with that, with His Word. And in Proverbs, there are several principles that we can apply, especially this morning we are going to be looking at the topic of money. Chasing after riches. And how do we have wisdom with an approach to money in our hearts and lives so that we can do it well, that we can have a biblical pattern of what God would call success in our lives? And I think, uh, so you'll have to keep up with me as we turn. There will be a few select uh, Proverbs we'll be looking at in particular, but we'll hit some of the highlights across as well to capture some of the themes uh, related to money as we look at this book. You might be familiar with one credit card's uh, common catch line, what's in your wallet? And uh, you might be curious to check if you've got anything there right now. Sometimes mine looks like this, but no matter, even if there's no cash there, we've always got those cards, right? And we've got quick access to getting things, getting stuff. And if we're not careful, we can get ourselves into a lot of trouble. And it's interesting to think about because, like, like this empty wallet, you still have that money, and yet money is what? Just, just paper, a little bit of metal, and there's been now assigned a value to this type of stuff that says, well, now with this, and the value gets less and less. This used to get you, this one dollar used to get you several gallons of gas, and now you can maybe get a quarter of a gallon of gas used to be able to get several pieces of candy, and you can't even afford a candy bar with this these days. But, but the assigned value of a piece of paper, but it represents assets, it represents possession, it represents wealth with which you can obtain goods. It's exchanged for what you can acquire. And, and so money, in a sense, is, is merely paper and metal, and there's really only four things you can do with it. You can make it, you can make money, you can give your money, you can save your money, you can spend your money, and uh, how do you do that wisely? And uh, some of us might have trouble just running in one or more of those directions. I've got to make more and more and more. I want to spend more and more and more. I'm going to save more and more and more so I can have lots and lots. And we can uh, maybe do one of those things really well and still be chasing after dead ends in our life. And so we need to be cautious and we need perspective that uh, God would offer us through his word to think better about money. And there's a lot of promises our world would make to us about money. More of it will make your life better. Is that right? And if you just flip on the TV or the radio station, perhaps you'll hear of all the great things that you could have now for just three easy payments. Or you could have your brand new car, no money down. In fact, uh, bonus points, if you open this new credit card today, uh, different apps might offer you triple points if you buy something today. You might be able to get something with no interest for the next 12 months. 
Perhaps you can watch the growing lottery numbers of what you could win if you just do it just right. Keep trying, keep trying, and maybe you'll break through at some point. Perhaps you've heard this question answered before. The question's been asked, how much is enough? The answer is always just a little bit more. Well, we're going to get some perspective from, if you're, if you're familiar with the book of Proverbs, most of the Proverbs are written by a man named Solomon, and uh, he was known as the wisest man who ever lived. He had much wisdom to offer, but not only that, um, if you'll turn back, hold your place in Proverbs and turn back to Second Chronicles with me. In Second Chronicles, we learn a little bit more. It might be familiar, but um, God had offered Solomon, what do you want? And uh, in, in Second Chronicles 1, verse 10, Solomon asks, Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people, for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? And God answered Solomon, Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and have not even asked for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you and none after you shall have the like." And so Solomon was quite wealthy, very rich indeed, with lots of assets, lots of money. And, and very, in fact, uh, there's an article on lovemoney.com that uh, actually labels Solomon as perhaps the fifth richest person who ever lived um, based off of a net worth of likely $2.2 trillion based off all the gold that he owned. And so that's to put some things into perspective but uh, so Solomon's speaking as someone, not as a, a poor man who's scowling at people who have money and like, uh, forget about those wealthy people, there's something wrong with them, but as someone who's lived with all kinds of wealth, all kinds of means, all kinds of access to whatever he could want, and even though he had initially asked the Lord for wisdom and knowledge, and God had granted that and money, Solomon had encountered through different experiences all kinds of troubles, all kinds of troubles relationally, all kinds of troubles with money. And so he speaks as someone who has gone through and earned that experience and wants to pass it on, as Pastor Jeff was letting us know last week, that father's wisdom, learn from someone who's experienced, learn from someone who would have you to know so that you don't have to go through it the same way he has. And uh, Solomon, I'm going to grab a couple verses from him outside of Proverbs before we jump in. In 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 23, uh, we learn this perspective. 1 Kings 10, 23. Jot this down and look at it in a bit. He says, uh, Thus King Solomon excelled all, excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. So he's, he is very rich, but his, his perspective, Ecclesiastes 2 and if you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, it's kind of a downer. And this is written by Solomon as well. And he wants us to have that perspective. In Ecclesiastes 2, 9 through 11, he says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this is my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained 
under the sun. All this money and all he could accomplish with it, all he could pursue, for what? That pursuit was empty. It was meaningless, vanity. Later in Ecclesiastes 5, 10, 11, he says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? So putting in perspective that, you know, for, for many of us, that American dream to chase after more and more and more. And he says, no, more and more and more. That's empty. That's meaningless. Don't chase after that kind of riches. Instead, um, we, we learned that uh, while, while we want lots of that, I'm going to actually start with reading through, if you want to turn to Proverbs 28, I'm going to read a, a section there, and then we'll go ahead and jump into the rest of the message. Proverbs 28, and I'm going to be reading from verse 19 through 28, if you'll follow along. He says, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread a man will do wrong. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Whoever robs his father or his mother and says, that's no transgression, is a companion to a man who destroys. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. When the wicked rise, people hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. Let's go ahead and and pause in a moment of prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we want to turn to you and seek your hope and help this morning. Lord, we all have need in our lives, and and in a sense that lends itself to a financial need that we uh, need money to acquire food, housing, uh, drink, and, and the basic needs of life, Lord. And we ask that you would put in perspective what is enough. We ask that you would help us to trust you in the midst of that. We ask that you would grant us wisdom that we would not be lured aside to chase after empty promises of this world and try to acquire more and more riches by whatever means. Lord, that we would put our hope in you and that you would be honored with our lives, even in how we approach money and how we use our money. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps uh, you've wondered, and it's actually an often asked question, should the church be talking about money? Why are we talking about that today? Well, yeah, the church should talk about money because we need more of it, right? Well, let me put it in perspective for you a little bit because we're not here, uh, your pastoral staff isn't here because we're getting rich off of working for the church. And uh, the money that goes to the church, as you have the opportunity to give, well, does help pay a modest salary for the pastors, and yet it ministers to the people. The church is the people, and we are uh, bringing money together for the Lord's work. In fact, I had the privilege this last week of 
um, attending the GARBC conference, that's our National Fellowship of Churches out in Oregon, and uh, enjoyed uh, the, the fellowship with others in, in the ministry, others across our fellowship, had the privilege of serving on the Council of 18, and, and there's some great things going on right now as the fellowship seeks to serve our churches, and the theme this week of our conference was the mandate, thinking about the the need to take the gospel to the lost, not just uh, in one sense personally as we reach out personally, but uh, collectively as a church as we seek to uh, tell the community about the need for the Savior and the hope that's in Him, and, and as a fellowship across our nation wanting the world to know the hope that's in Jesus. And that's, that's part of why we do what we do as a church, and, and, and money plays a role in that. And we want to get a bigger perspective of money to think about See, so the Bible talks about money, and for important reason. Jesus talks about money, and money is scary, actually, because the truth is that money has a power to enslave. If we're not careful, we can be captured, caught up, and we think about all the things we could own, and instead, all of that owns us, and we fall trap to it. Money is a window to the heart. Money is a tool by which we can express our worship. Pursuing and stewarding our money requires wisdom. And so we look into the book of Proverbs today and to God's word. Money is a great source of suffering, believe it or not. And money is a great cause of conflict. And so we want to equip you and equip ourselves with God's word for wisdom with money. So what I'd like us to see today is that you and I ought to honor the Lord with our wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And that's rooted right in Proverbs 3, 9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. That there is a call in Scripture, and we looked at Proverbs 3 a couple weeks ago, right there in the heart of it, that we want to fear the Lord. We want to honor the Lord. We want to trust the Lord. And, and perspective, because we're going to look across Proverbs at some of the verses that speak very specifically to money and possessions today. But I want you to also take a step back and get a bigger picture. Because just because a verse doesn't say the word money or say the word wealth or say the word possessions does not mean that it does not apply in that direction. And so when we get started in Proverbs and we see in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, well, then I need to have a fear of the Lord, a proper respect and worship to Him when it comes to my approach and heart attitude toward money. That absolutely shapes an, an application of how I live in response to money. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, when we read, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Absolutely, that refers to wisdom with money and how we can turn our trust to Him, how we can follow Him, live in relationship with Him, and not by our own ways, by our own understanding. So we need that in perspective as well as we, we see we ought to honor the Lord with our wealth. It is a part of our worship to God. It is a an, an demonstration of our trust in Him. And as we speak about wealth, I, I want to get a bigger picture because you could perhaps even say, honor the Lord with your wealth um, or with, with your finances, whatever wealth or lack of wealth, because in your attitude toward it, in your, perhaps you could say, in my poverty, I still need to honor the Lord 
wherever I am with whatever I have and my heart toward what I could pursue ought to be shaped by that which honors him in my heart and life. And the first thing I want to see is that we need to trust the Lord above his provision. Trust the Lord above his provision that I want to look to him and trust in him, not the things of this world. Well, that sounds obvious, and yet, if I'm to examine my own heart, my own life, if, if everything collapsed and suddenly I had nothing, I would be really struggling with that. Or if, um, if certain, certain things that I, I'm trying to figure out, how, can I, how am I going to face that when it happens? Um, I've got three kids who are quickly approaching college years. How are we going to afford? They're already eating more than I can imagine. And, and so paying for food, paying for education, uh, if they want to drive, how are we going to get cars for them? What's this going to look like? How do we do this with wisdom? At all, okay, uh, it's not about possessions. It's not about what I can get in this world and it's not a bad thing to, to plan and, and try to consider those, and yet I can't trust in what I have. I need to be cautious. Let me ask you as we look at this. First of all, are you, are you pursuing confidence in your financial security? It's a big word, financial security. That I, I'm okay because I've got... Uh, money in my bank account, I've got an insurance plan in place, I've got a retirement account in place, I've got uh, abundant income coming in, my investments are yielding return, I'm building my financial security. Okay, how about in perspective to trusting the Lord? Where is your ultimate security? Where is your confidence? And, and so there is wisdom. It makes sense to do some of these things, to plan and to be careful with money and to build uh, a, a wise approach that uh, gets me in a good place financially, and yet my trust cannot ultimately be in those. Let me warn you that riches will not hold you fast. You are not secure in the wealth you can acquire. We're going to look at a, a few Proverbs that bring this into perspective, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment. You're about to be a new parent, and you're excited. You, you, God's blessed with a child, and then you have this brand new baby boy, and so here's this baby, and you hand over to him all that you have. Here you go. Off you go. The baby has all he could need, right? All kinds of wealth, perhaps, and yet there's something missing, right? There's something missing in the, the nurture the baby needs, the the training, the care, the, the guidance, and th there's something more long-term in an ongoing provision for the child than a one-time, everything I have, here you go. Well, that might sound ridiculous to try to do that with a baby, and yet perhaps we might treat our relationship with God that way. That, okay, God, I've, I've trusted in you. I've trusted in Jesus, my Savior. I think I'm okay. Uh, just give me lots of goodies uh, lots of wealth and toys in my life, and I'll, I'll see you when I get to heaven. We can't live in that kind of independent uh, lifestyle that is separate from God. We need to be engaged in a relationship that, that trusts the Lord with all our heart, that fears the Lord, that honors Him. And so there's something far more deep in an ongoing trusting relationship with God. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4 and 5. 
Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. If I'm turning quickly, I'd encourage you to jot these down and come back and look at them later. But these uh, verses uh, will help us to get a glance across the book of Proverbs. 23, 4 and 5 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. See, part of the problem is riches are... Never enough. And in, you could have it now, and it could disappear. There's, there's no guarantee. And, and you can do all kinds of cautious principles, to, but, but if your trust is there, then you're aiming in the wrong direction. Riches are never enough. And, and you can think about how, how do we pursue wealth? What are we going after? Well, the other thing is that riches give a false security. Riches give false security. Look back a couple chapters at Proverbs 18, verse 10 and 11. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. I've enjoyed that verse for a long time, just thinking about the the confidence and security I have in the Lord. But it's eye-opening to look at it in relationship to the next verse, which draws a contrast. Verse 11, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. Okay, so I... There's a confidence to that, right? But he goes on, and like a high wall in his imagination. So he would suppose that he's okay in his wealth, that he's fortified in it, that he's got a certain security in it, that he is trusting in all the stuff he has because that should make him okay. And the truth is, again, that riches could come and go. And the more scary truth is that even in riches that stay, It doesn't accomplish all I need. And it could actually sell me short of a growing, thriving worship of the Lord. Not automatically, but I need to be guarded against a trust in my riches. Particularly because of these next couple verses. Proverbs 11, if you'll turn back to there, shows us riches cannot accomplish righteousness. It can't earn me any favor before God. It can't bring me to a right standing before Him. And that's important to remember that that's what matters. I need to care about my spiritual standing, and that needs to have a deeper perspective. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Another contrast drawn that I can choose to trust in my riches or I can choose to orient my life in a way that wants to grow in righteousness, that wants to pursue righteousness above riches. And, and again, I think as we talk about righteousness, we need to put that in perspective, that it's not a, okay, I'm getting better and better, look how good I am, but that it's, uh, the Bible talks about a righteousness that is rooted in the gospel, that sees that I'm a sinner, that I cannot be good enough, that I'm saved by grace, that Jesus came, he died for my sin, he rose again, and when I put my trust in him as Savior, then on that basis, I have all of Jesus' perfect righteousness attributed to me, and that is my access to heaven. There's no other way. And if I want to go by my own righteousness, then I will always fall short. So I can't earn it, but if I trust in Jesus as Savior, then I have, and, and that's kind of the idea of righteousness. It's a trusting relationship with God. And, and it does shape 
the decisions I make, that I am growing in, in becoming more like Christ, that I am growing in making wiser, more honoring decisions before the Lord. And, and so with that in mind then, back to eleven twenty eight, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. If that's the way you orient your heart, that that's what matters to you, God will do something in you. Another tough perspective that we'll need to keep in mind as we look at Proverbs and, and even the Old Testament is that um, this idea of flourishing, we might want to read our own financial disposition back into that, that if I trust my riches, it's not going to work out. But if I trust my righteousness, then I'll get all the riches I could want financially. And God's got something far better in mind than that, that I might never get any financial riches, and yet he's going to provide for my greatest needs, and he's going to bless me beyond anything I can imagine. And it might not be financial blessing. It might be uh, his, it'll be his care in this life, and it'll be eternity with him. And so that needs to be in perspective as well, but it's far better. Look back at Proverbs 11, verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. That there's coming a judgment, that there is a greater perspective, that it is more than this life and what I can accumulate, what I can live for, my wealth, my possessions, my pursuits, but about honoring the Lord with my life in my righteousness. And that will involve honoring him with my money and my decisions with my money. And we'll talk more about that. Also, as we think about trusting the Lord above his provision, I think uh, Proverbs chapter 30, if you want to turn there, is written by a man named Agur. And he prays a prayer here that I think we could emulate and implement in our lives to pray for God's protection from any financial temptations. Look with me at Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Puts in perspective that there's, there's a couple of vulnerabilities there. That being poor it doesn't automatically cause sin, so I, I, we need to have perspective. We have a choice in the midst of poverty to honor the Lord, but there is a vulnerability. There is a risk. There's a struggle. Like, how do I meet my needs? I might want to take that in my own hands, even if it means stealing, to serve myself. And I, he says, I don't want to profane your name that way, Lord, so please protect me from that. And on the other hand, Please protect me from riches that I would be tempted to trust in instead, that I would, um, as, as he says here, that I would be full, that I'd have all I need. Who is the Lord? And forget about you. So may, may I never go down any of these paths, and, and please guard me in that. And ultimately, the heart behind that is how I would conduct myself wherever I am, but, but that I'd also aim for, you know, enough is enough. I don't need to have an abundance that I keep pursuing more and more and more because I want to trust the Lord above his provision. Second is this, that we ought to aim our desires for God's best. Proverbs teaches us that our, our desires ought to be looked and aimed after what God has in mind for us, which is better than anything we could pursue. Let me ask you then, 
Where are you searching in order to find the better for yourself? What have you set sights on? I think this is a question that will keep coming to mind as we look through Proverbs. What is the pursuit of my heart? What is the pursuit of my life as I seek after wisdom? That I, I can be fully vulnerable to, I need more. I need lots. And, and I need to guard myself. How do I fill any emptiness I might feel? How do I navigate life struggles? I might feel like, man, I, I, I need money to fix my problems. I just need a little more. Lord, can you provide for these needs? And, and that's a fair prayer to ask him, but then to surrender to him and know that God is a God under control. You might be wondering, how can I live my life with this little of money? And I think a better question to ask is, how can I live my life with this little of righteousness? How can I pursue a deeper love for God, love for obeying his word? And there's another warning that we need to beware of worthless pursuits. Turn back to Proverbs 28 with me. And that passage in verse 19 begins with that warning. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. It goes on, verse 20, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Well, we ought to be careful that we're not needing more and more and more of the things that we chase after. There's a story told of a man running a popcorn stand. And uh, so this businessman goes to this uh, old street vendor to buy popcorn. Every day after lunch, he goes and enjoys his popcorn. And, and one time he arrives and finds that actually the peddler there is closing up his stand. And it's only noon. Is something wrong, he asked. A smile came across the, the vendor's face. By no means, all is well. Then why are you closing up your popcorn stand? He says, oh, I want to go home. I'm going to sit on my porch, and I'm going to have some tea with my wife. The day's still young. You can still sell. And he says, no need to, actually. I've, I've made enough money for today. I've accomplished what I need. Enough? That's ridiculous. You should keep working. There's plenty of time and lots of opportunity. Well, the vendor looked at him and asked the question, why should I keep on working? Well, you need to sell more popcorn. And then what? Well, if you sell more popcorn, you can make a lot more money. He asked, and then what? Well, the more money you have, the richer you are, the richer you are, the more popcorn stands you could buy. Well, he says, well, then what? Well, he says, the more popcorn stands you buy, the more you could hire people to sell your product and the more you sell, you'll have that much more. He says, well, then what I do? He says, then you'll, you'll be free enough that you could go home and sit on the porch and have tea with your wife. He says, I do that already. I suppose that I have enough. It puts in perspective that uh, the things that we could chase after, the simple pleasures of life to enjoy in our relationships, to rest in those, that, that there is enough and we can rest in that rather than the the appetite, the hunger that says, I need more. So we, we need to be cautious of our worthless pursuits, things like um, maybe as we want to obtain money and how we could try to do so with taking shortcuts, being lazy, trying to take shortcuts, trying to have a hasty acquisition of wealth. But instead, we need diligence. We're going to talk about that. Pastor Jeff will be leading us in that next week. Or we might want to do it with dishonest gain. 
cheating, passing, finding my own way, and instead we need integrity. We'll be looking at that a few weeks with Pastor Will. But we, how, how do we acquire wealth? Well, we want to be cautious that it's not with worthless pursuits. But instead, we can get perspective that uh, instead of chasing after what's, what's fleeting, that we can um, find that there's so much better than the mere financial riches that we could chase after with our lives. And so I'm going to pop up a number of verses up here and, and read them to you, and I'd encourage you at least jot them down and go back and look at them, because the, the book of Proverbs put in perspective, uh, one of the awesome words here is that which is better, to contrast this versus something that's so much more. And, and sometimes we get in, in mind that I need wealth, and that's the biggest thing I can think of to grab hold of with my life because wealth is power. Wealth means I can obtain. Wealth gives me much more access to anything I could want. But Proverbs shows me so much better. First of all, that which is better is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 15, verse 16 says, says this, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord, then great treasure and trouble with it. Not only that, the, the fear of the Lord is better, love is also better than financial riches. Proverbs fifteen seventeen, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. That I, I might be able to get lots and lots and, and just in the midst of all this conflict, Versus a simple life, but enjoying love and that relationship. Next that is better is righteousness. Proverbs 16, verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. That I don't want to contribute to my life to say I'm going to act unjustly to lay hold of wealth when I can enjoy with righteousness and have enough. Next thing that is enough that is better is wisdom. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. And actually, the first several chapters of Proverbs make that clear that it's better than silver, it's better than gold, it's better than precious jewels. The, the knowledge of the Lord that comes from acquiring and, and living in the midst of that wisdom that orients my life with a love and honor of the Lord, far better than the riches that will spoil. Next is humility. Humility is better than riches. Proverbs 16, 19. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Some of these need a lot of thought, a lot of heart examination. I know it can be tempting at times to say, well, it might be worth it to, to divide the spoil with the proud and feel really good about it, and yet... Solomon says, I, I can tell you from experience, it's not worth it. This is better. Put that in perspective. Next is peace. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Again, the, the, to, you know, barely anything to eat, and yet you've got good relationships, not, not all the bickering and bantering then all the strife that could happen, even as you're feasting, and say, well, at least I got that, but, but man, it's just not worth it, to put it in perspective. 
Next is that of reputation. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold, that it's worth it to have a, a reputation of one who honors the Lord. And finally, one other that we'll look at is integrity. Proverbs 28, verse 6 puts it in perspective. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. And each of these puts in perspective that of, yeah, you might have a lot, and yet you're suffering in the midst of that because it's not worth it. Better to have these things. And so puts in perspective that if I desire that which is better and pursue that which is better to honor the Lord and enjoy what God gives rather than living for the riches alone, well, God will bless in the midst of that. Finally, the third thing we'll see, to honor the Lord with your wealth, we ought to give with sacrifice for greater joy. Give with sacrifice for greater joy. Let me ask you, what joy are you finding from your possessions? Think about all that you have, or perhaps what little you have, and yet it's not about in what you own. It's a greater perspective. So keep that in mind as you're wanting more, as that appetite stirs up within you, as you start to wish, oh, my life's hard, if only. But to see, oh, that doesn't provide the joy. Instead, we can see there are actually greater riches for the faithful man than for the one who is stingy and greedy. If you'll glance with me across Proverbs 28, uh, starting verse 20, verse 20, a faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. If, if that's your pursuit, it's not worth it. Verse 22, a stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Verse 25, a greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. There's greater riches for the faithful. Again, putting in perspective that it's not about monetary or financial riches. It's not about possessions. There's something far better. There's a greater joy, greater blessing for the faithful man than for the one who is stingy or greedy. But we're talking about giving we need to realize giving isn't meant to be comfortable. It is going to stretch us. It is going to be difficult. It is going to be hard. In fact, uh, turn back to Proverbs chapter 3, our starting verse here. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. That's a challenge right there, that we ought to give to the Lord first, off the top, because it's his anyway. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is Lord's and all the fullness of it. Everything I have belongs to him. And so to, to trust in the Lord and see his provision means that I realize, man, everything I have, God is taking care of me. And, and so it, it, it's like making a little, like a, a kid doing chores to earn a buck or two for mom and dad. It's like, okay. It's just such minor things compared to mom and dad who's feeding you on a regular basis, who's put a roof over your head, mom and dad who are taking care of you around the clock like, okay, that, that one or two dollars is minuscule. Don't get stuck on that. But, but just have a bigger perspective. It's all God's. I want to honor him with all I have. And the, the first fruits principle goes back to uh, 
Moses' law, and that they would, and it's a bigger perspective because it's not just about farmers, but it goes to that principle. The farmers would grow their crop, and then it would start to give yield. And if you're not a farmer, you, you might not realize how uh, difficult of a business it is that you really depend on the, the, what, the weather, you depend on how the crop does that year and what, what's going to come. And as the crop begins to yield, and you take the beginning of that, and, and yeah, this is your chance to enjoy, and yet, no, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to offer it back to you because I see this all doesn't depend ultimately on the weather. It depends on the one who controls the weather. It doesn't depend on the crop itself. It depends on the one who's sovereign over it all. And Lord, you sovereignly provide. I trust you. I will give back to you. And I'm not going to wait till the end to give off the bottom if I've got something left over. I'm not just going to wait for my excess, but Lord, I'm going to give to you first. You're my priority because it's yours anyways. And that giving then, it demonstrates both trust and dependence. Look, continuing verse 10, Proverbs 3.10, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Again, this isn't about ultimately financial gain. So it's not like my ultimate goal is to give in order to get, but it puts it in perspective. They had a dependent relationship on God that they knew, okay, Lord, that he, this is how he's going to pour out his blessing. Well, we can get in that kind of perspective, like, okay, I'm going I'm to give a little bit to the church, and I know God's going to multiply my riches. No, that, that's not the perspective there. That there's, again, there's the better riches that aren't necessarily financial, but God takes care of us. God will meet our needs, and, and, and that eternal perspective of how God cares for us for all eternity, again, keeps us uh, per, focused on Him to trust Him. Finally, a great blessing comes from blessing others. If you look with me at Proverbs 11, verse 24 to 26. Proverbs 11, 24 to 26 says this, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. That there's the blessing to be able to give. And, and so there's perspective of, first of all, giving to the church. And that's built off of other um, principles through Scripture that we're not going to tackle today. But perspective of, okay, um, if, if uh, we think of the mandate of the church to go and make disciples and how that's what Jesus said, I will build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If that's what God's doing, then we ought to get behind uh, the church and give to it, be a part of it. The church is us. The church is the body of Christ. I want to give to God's mission. I want to pursue that with my time, with my money, with um, my love, with my relationships, that I'm fully into it. And then Proverbs also talks, uh, we don't have time to hit all of them, several verses on how we treat the poor. Proverbs 22, 2 says that for the rich and the poor, the Lord is the maker of both. And it puts in perspective, we ought to have a, a, a regard for the poor, to care for them, and even to take time to give to them. And there's a greater joy that comes, more joy than having. Jesus himself said is more blessed to give than to receive. So, in closing, we ought to honor the Lord with our wealth. 
Lots to think about, and we've only skimmed the surface of what Proverbs has to say about money. There's so much, much more in Proverbs and in Scripture, talking about wise and foolish investments, how we ought to, how we ought to be careful in how we borrow and how we lend and all those types of things, and we've just skimmed the surface. But it puts some of those immediate principles on the table that we need to honor the Lord with what we have and what we don't, to trust the Lord above His provision that no matter how much I have, God's in control, and I want God's best, and I'm willing to even give what I have out of what I have to demonstrate that trust and worship of the Lord. It's a focus specifically on the heart attitude toward money. Let's close with this question Jesus asked, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Let's pray. Father, Thank you that you are our provider, that uh, you've given us ultimate provision in the gospel, and we have the privilege of remembering your provision of how you've given unto us what you've done for us in giving your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And Lord, we pray that you would challenge us with that perspective to see that, um, that there's nothing greater, that Jesus is better that um, nothing can surpass the knowledge of him. And Lord, we, we rest in your provision. We rest in your love. And Lord, we, we pray along with King Agur that uh, we wouldn't be in the temptation, that we wouldn't be neither too impoverished or too rich, that we would have the temptation to steal, lie, profane your name, and that we wouldn't have so much riches that we forget about you and deny you. Lord, guard our hearts, direct our steps, help us to trust you with every decision, including those we make with our wealth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.